This is a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z-Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online. Uh, so I've gotten through my second week pretty much solo in the office. Not quite. One of the other owners has come down uh, most days of the week uh, and has helped me in the office here and there. Uh, I, I would like to say that I've gotten my head above water uh with the workload and and being able to get everything through and all that, I I'd like to say I've done I've gotten that at this point, uh, but uh, I haven't. I'm still I'm still underwater, but I can I can see the sky through the water as I look up. Uh, hopefully, I won't get pulled down any deeper. Uh, we'll see what happens, but um, more and more of the jobs that are going through the shop are completely generated by me. And so we're getting that transition done. The office manager who's on tour with his band, uh, he he did come back in today because his band has, has come back to Minneapolis. So they're going to play uh, tonight. And so he came by about 3 o'clock today, 3.30, and I went over a few things with him, asked him some questions, gave him some update on what's going on and, and all that. And he seems... You know, I, I, I told him, I said, I'm trying to keep it good, together. And he did say, just remember, they're only t-shirts. <laughs> it's only t-shirts. It's not like it's anything super important. But hey, it's a job, and you want to do right by the customers, and you want to be able to get them what they need. But uh, we've gotten pretty busy, and the shop manager told me today, he says, uh, anybody bringing in anything new, for at least the next couple of weeks, we gotta tell them we're a strict two-week turnaround at this point. Maybe even three weeks before we can get a job turned around because it's just there's a lot of stuff coming through, and you know there's situations where uh, Amy had to help fold shirts this week because the person who does that has carpal tunnel and it's been acting up on her, so she's been out all week and Amy's been back there and. And uh, it's it's you know it's not it's not terribly difficult work. It's just bending over a table, putting flattening shirts out, counting them up, and folding them, and doing all that stuff, uh, and pulling them out of you know out of the out of the bins that they fall into out of the dryers, and you know it's it's bending and standing and it's being stooped and all that. It's if on your feet and it's you know it can get uncomfortable and. Uh, yeah, it can be a little difficult. So, but anyway, I've gotten through the second week, 
And I hope, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, that's two down, four to go. So let's let's see how it let's see how it keeps going. Uh, I did. Oh, oh, this was another thing. Um, I stopped by the uh, the janitor place that I that I still clean for, and I, I stopped by to drop off my time cards. Um, and I, you know, I, I still have a key to the office. They trust me with it. You know, maybe it's a way to try to keep me, you know, keep a handle on me a little bit. Although I'm sticking to my guns. I just clean the buildings I clean. I don't do anything else for you. I'll, I'll come in and fix a vacuum cleaner, but, you know, that's, that's something I don't mind doing. But you know, that's just, you know, let's, I'm not filling in. I'm not doing project work. Just remember that. So anyway, um... It made it easier for them to get my time card because they just said, well, just drop it off. And so I did. I went over the other night and I, I go into the office and the front desk where uh, I didn't usually sit. I sat at the desk toward the back with the, the computer on it so I could just knock around on YouTube all day long. Well, the front desk was almost cleared off. There was still a few things on there, but it was, it just, I looked at it and went, wow, that's, that looks different. Uh, that looks different, and and there was something else. There was something else on that desk. There was a uh, one of those flowering plants, right? The little little pot with some soil in it. It's plant. It's not. It's not like you know flowers that uh, that Amy and I prefer to have around the house. You know the kind that you bring home, you put them in a vase with some water in it, and then you watch them slowly die. Yeah, that's the kind of flowers we prefer. But this was a flowering plant, an actual flowering plant that could live for a while, presumably, as long as you water it and take care of it and all that. This was sitting on the front desk. And I thought, well, there's no... I thought, okay, that's fine. It's a little something that the, the new office person, because they got, they got somebody. They found someone. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a woman that actually lives right next to the office. I mean, right... There's a house behind the office. There's a house back there. And the boss bumped into her the other day. They were talking about things. He was talking about, oh, you know, looking for an office manager. She said, well, I'm looking for some work. And he said, hey, would you like to do the work? She said, yeah, okay. So they got her uh, for for noon to five. They're, they're still trying to save some money on the on the office. So they got her for noon to five, and that's that's fine. Whatever works out, whatever works. That's I'm I'm cool. But the thing was, this flowering plant. See, I sat down at the front desk and I grabbed out a time card and I started to fill it out. And I look at the at the plant and I see, wait a minute, this there's a card on this plant. You know, they you get this little like a it's a little plastic spike that's about I don't know eight inches tall, and at the top it has a little holder where you can put a little card, a little a little two by one and a half card that you can put in there and just write a little something, you know, get well soon or whatever the, that's meant to be put on there. And there was a no, there was there was a note written on it in my in the boss's wife's handwriting. I recognized it, and it said it read I should say, and I quote. We're, we are so happy to have you join our company. I looked at that and I thought, huh, 14 years, they never got me flowers. They didn't give me flowers when I took over the office when the, uh, the other office manager had retired. I didn't get any flowers. I see, I see, I see how I rate. 
Okay, I see. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a note on the time card <laughs> to that effect. Huh. I said, oh, I see. Flowers. Huh. I never got any flowers. 14 plus years, you never gave me flowers. Now, I shouldn't. I shouldn't act like they'd never, you know, because the boss would take me out to lunch on, on occasion. And every now and then, he'd come in with a 12-pack of uh, uh, of the beer I like. And he'd say, yeah, here you go. So it's not like they never did anything for me. So I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be a prick about this. <laughs> it just was, that was interesting. But, you know, I told this to my wife and they said, well, maybe they're, you know, maybe they're trying harder to make sure that the employees know that they're appreciated. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Remember, that's this was the same pair. This is the same the boss and the wife, uh, the boss's wife, who's also also the boss. It's the same two that one said the boss. Uh, he says, you know, we were just about to give you a raise. You know, next month we were going to give you a dollar raise, dollar an hour raise. Really? Oh, you were, huh? And then the and the other one, uh, when putting in uh, what's the starting pay. Uh, for the office manager job in an ad on Craigslist and she says 75 cents more than what I was currently making. You know, come on. <laughs> it's the same people. I mentioned this a while back on the show. Uh, talked about how um, there's a podcast I listen to. It's called uh, The Frankenstein Minute. It's produced by a couple of fellows that are, you know, that, that live in Minnesota. They live here. It's locally produced, locally to me. And that's cool. Uh, anyway, one of the hosts had said that uh, um, they were t somehow the Batman movie came up. You have the one that's the current Batman, the Batman movie that's out there now. Uh, which I think is really good. I've only seen it the once. I want to see it again, but I think it's really good, and uh, and and I, I really enjoyed it. And it has a uh, I, think, I I know I talked about it. It has a uh, a more of a it's like the Dark Knight meets uh, the movie Seven. So it's 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 a, it's like that a little bit. And the the difference another uh, 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 well one of the differences between this current Batman film. And other Batman movies is that uh, the depiction of Bruce Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne, in, uh, up until this current movie, has always been depicted as sort of a playboy. You know, just sort of a you know, I've got all this money, I don't care. You know, I'm going to do what I want to do, that kind of thing. Uh, but in in the Batman, Bruce Wayne is uh, very uh, he's very disturbed. <laughs> you know, he just seems. Very upset. Not angry, upset. He seems depressed and and unsure of himself and all that. He has that going on. So he doesn't have, he doesn't give this off this playboy billionaire persona persona, which is which is a departure. And I I think it's fine. That's but there was something said by one of the hosts of the Frankenstein Minute. I know I mentioned this a while back, but and that was. His Batman is Adam West. He, he says, I, I'm so sick of the dark and brooding and gritty, you know, Batman. I'm just so sick of them. I'm just, just, here's just another one. Another dark and depressing and moody and gritty and brooding and all this. And I, and I, and I said this on the show earlier. I said, well, then you really don't like Batman because that's what Batman is supposed to be. That's what he was created to be. 
way back in 1938, 39, something like that, uh, a, a young comic book writer named Bill Finger had a young comic book artist come to him, and uh, the artist uh, had a had a nugget of an idea for a superhero character called Batman. He had a nugget of an idea. Had a, had a sketch of the costume and some story ideas with it. And Bill Finger looked at the sketch and said, yeah, it, it, this is interesting, but I think it'd be better if it was more like this. And he goes on and he starts to develop the character that we would come to know as Batman. The dark and brooding, vengeful, bent on making criminals pay for the crime of uh, uh, of his of his of the deaths of his parents, even though those criminals didn't kill his parents. But he's just he's determined to make them pay. He's determined to bring justice. He's determined to save Gotham, and, and all this kind of stuff. But he's and he, but he's very dark and he's very. He's ominous and scary. He uses the, the depiction of the bat in order to put fear into the criminal element uh, you know, and all that. And I think the Batman movie uh, did a nice job of showing... One of the things that when I was watching some reviews, somebody pointed out that this, this uh, using the use of the bat signal and this legend of the Batman just permeates the city so that the, the crime people... Aren't you know, they're looking over their shoulder? They're just—they're not sure uh, if they're gonna get away with it. If the Batman's gonna show up, you know. And that was—that was a good point, and that's something that that was established in the film. Uh, anyway, so when Bill Finger created Batman with the help of Bob Kane, now this is a thing. This is a thing that comic book people know. If you're not a comic book person, you may not be aware of this. But you might have been saying, when I kept saying Bill Finger created Batman, you might have been saying, wasn't it Bob Kane? Didn't Bob Kane do it? See, that was Bob Kane's real talent. Now, maybe I shouldn't... You know, I, I, I don't want to be too disparaging of the fellow. But, but one of his true talents was to make sure he got credit for creating Batman. Even though the, what we know of, of Batman today is mainly due to what Bill Finger did, uh, what he created from the nugget of an idea that Bob Kane brought to him. So we for, for, for decades, it was you know created by Bob Kane, by, you know Batman created by Bob Kane for decades. And then eventually the stories were coming out about Bill Finger's, what he did for it, what his involvement was. Those stories start to come out. And, and there was a push to, to get Bill Finger the proper credit. You know, just that, that he should be you know, a, a co-creator, at least, of Batman. Because he was. Uh, but maybe a little more than just a co-creator. And, and, you know, there's another story about, about Bob Kane. Now, Bob Kane was an artist, but I guess, I guess he wasn't the, the best artist and I know how it feels to not be able to draw that thing that you want to draw because I've had it happen where it's just like I got it in my head I can't get my hands to move the pen in the way that I want it to move how does somebody else do it I don't know they just do <laughs> and um, 
And you know, Bob Kane's you know, it's been pointed out that he's done things where he you know uh, he would copy from other comic books or co- other things, and or from comic strips. And it's been you know, there's there's been some demonstration of such things. And 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 there was there's a story about how uh, Bob brought in some pages that he drew, in quotes that he drew. Uh, he, br- he brings them into his editor. The editor's looking through them. He says, "Okay, great, thanks, Bob. Oh, Bob, uh, this hand here on this page. Do you think you could? I, I, it looks a little awkward. Can you do a redraw of that? I'd like it to be more like this or something like that." And Bob says, "Uh, sure. I'll just uh, bring it on home and and uh, and do it." And, and the, the editor says, "Well, no. You it'll only take you ten minutes. Just just go go do it here. You know, it'll be fine. Just knock it out." And then Bob says, "I I I, I don't know. Well, uh, um, um um let me see what I can do." It and he. And he takes it away, and he goes somewhere, and he's gone for a while. And then he comes back, and uh, he hands the page to the editor. The editor looks at it and says, yeah, that's what I was looking for. Thanks, Bob. And it goes on with his day. And it turns out what Bob had done was he had gone to one of the other artists that was working in the building at the time and went to them and said, look, I'll give you 20 bucks if you draw this hand this way. Because <laughs> he couldn't do it. That's the story. Is it apocryphal? I don't know. So anyway, so... Um, in recent, in more recent years, the credit that Bill Finger deserves has been given to him. He's he's been getting that kind of credit. And to tie it into uh, the the, uh, the the into what that host of Frankenstein Minute said that that his Batman, his favorite Batman, the Batman he likes is the Adam West Batman. Batman sixty six is what the kids are calling it these days. And I, I like that Batman. I think it's funny. I think it's clever and silly and all that. But that's not Batman. That's, that's not Batman. That's not what Batman was intended to be when he started. He was intended to be a dark and brooding, vengeful crime fighter. That's what he was, you know, that, that wanted to use fear as a tactic of, of beating the bad guys. That's what he was. That's what he came from. And... Some stuff happened in comic book history that sort of changed that. Yes, there was the Adam West series that brought a certain campiness to the character. Well, not a certain, a lot of campiness to the character on television. And that had an effect on the comic books. But what also had an effect on the comic books was stuff that happened before then. There was was World War II that came about. Now, the superheroes genre in comic books got started in about 1938. Uh, with the with the publication of Action Comics number one that had uh, Superman that introduced Superman to the world and that was what kicked off the superhero uh, genre. That's what that's what got them going. Uh, and shortly after that, the, this was for National Comics, which which soon came to be called DC Comics. Uh, after the their title Detective Comics, so yeah, the DC Comics. It's DC is you know Detective Comics Comics. I know, I know, but that's what we call it. We call it DC Comics. Anyway, so they they came up with Batman, and they they then they brought Wonder Woman to the world, and Aquaman, and the Flash, and the Green Lantern, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and the company that would become Marvel Comics, it was called Timely at the time. They they brought out their superheroes. They brought out the Human Torch and Submariner and Captain America. And the superhero genre was working really well. Uh, on through World War II, was re- was was selling really well. The kids dug it, and the comic books were mainly for kids. 
uh, and they dug it and they bought them. And um, when the war came to an end, though, the superhero genre started to lose favor, lose popularity. And by the 1950s, you know, a lot of the superhero comics had disappeared. Uh, Submariner and the Human Torch and, and, and Captain America had stopped being, pu being published at some point in the early 50s. Uh, DC Comics managed to keep things going. They, they had their core of superheroes, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, you know, those characters. They had those that they continued to go uh, publish, and they did all right. But the stories definitely got sillier. They, they were definitely for kids. They just didn't have that oomph to them, right? That they kind of that they sort of did before World War II and during World War II. But something else happened in the 1950s that changed comic books a little bit. I'll tell you about that. Something else that happened when I get back from uh, uh, this break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Jim Fitzsimmons. I'll return after this break. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Z-Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and, of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, talking about some nerd stuff, geek stuff, about comic books. Talking about Batman and his origins and who should be responsible and how Adam West affected it and all that. Uh, the other thing that happened in the 1950s, and I know I've talked about this before, but the other thing that happened was this uh, doctor named Frederick Wortham had uh, published a book called The Seduction of the Innocent, which was all about how comic books were turning children into criminals. And so he started this crusade against comic books, I guess I can call it. 
and it, it had an effect that uh, this, uh, a Senate subcommittee investigated this connection with uh, criminality in comic books in kids. And it just, uh, yeah, it had a chilling effect on the industry. Uh, as I said, the superhero genre was doing really well through World War II, but once World War II had ended, the superheroes began to sort of fall off. Although DC managed to keep them going, but the characters are rather bland. They just weren't as exciting as they were pre-World War II and during World War II. And part of that taming of the characters was this Senate subcommittee, this hearing on comic books where publishers were drawn, uh, brought before Congress or before the Senate to to uh, to just uh, to to give justification for their their delinquentizing of the children. Is that the, is that a word? Children? Is that a word? Anyway, so uh, and that had what that ended up doing was it gave us two things. Uh, it gave us more than that, I'm sure, but there were two main things that came out of those hearings and this whole idea that comic books are creating criminals. Is it uh, the is, there was the comic code the comics code authority was developed, and that was a an industry developed organization. So they would self policing organization that would that would review the comic book stories that were proposed to come out and all that. They'd look at the art. They'd look at the. They read the story. They'd see where things going. They'd have certain rules that had to be adhered to. You couldn't. You know, if you're doing a crime story, the cops had to be the good guys. There couldn't be any bad cops. Uh, you know, and the criminals never got away with it. And things, you know, things like that. And you can't get, you know, the, the drawings can't be too violent or too graphic. And 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 so there was this code, uh, or the the code authority, which would have a, a seal, a uh, stamp of approval that would go on the cover of each comic book. Now, they wouldn't actually stamp the comic book. They would just, they would uh, review the material and tell that publisher that, okay, you can put the uh, stamp up in the corner. You, you can do that. And they would, they would just put it in the printing and there would be this little stamp up there, Comics Code Authority. And that lasted up until, I think, the early 2000s, I think it was, before it finally just petered out. Uh, but that was one of the things that this... This, this close looking and scrutinizing of comic books uh, that it brought about. The other thing was uh, the publishers that were being brought before the Senate, uh, one of them was William Gaines, Bill Gaines. And he was the publisher of EC Comics, which is EC stands for Entertainment Comics, so that would make EC Comics, Entertainment Comics, Comics. Yeah, I, I know. Anyway, so uh, uh, Bill Gaines was brought up before them, and, and EC Comics had some pretty sophisticated stuff. Very good art. They had some of the best artists working for them, but they did a lot of horror stories, and they did a lot of crime stories and science fiction stuff, and, and some of the, the things would push the envelope a bit. Uh, and uh, Bill Gaines was the kind of guy that uh, when the rest of the industry said, okay, we'll do the Comics Code Authority thing, we'll clean up our act, thank you, Just uh, we're not creating criminals, uh, we won't do it anymore anyway. And Bill just said, nah, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to not publish comic books anymore. Yeah, so what he did was he took one of the comic book titles that he had been publishing, 
prior to all this, shut down everything else. And he converted that comic book. It was a it was a humor comic book that he'd been had been publishing, a satire, humor, public commentary, or uh, you know, pop culture commentary, whatever. Uh, and he so he, he developed that into a magazine. Now magazines weren't covered under the Comics Code Authority, so he could publish whatever he wanted. It wasn't uh, it didn't have the same kind of a you know, well, well almost whatever he wanted didn't have the same round of approval that the comic books needed. The one comic book that he took from his from his his, his stable of books was a humor comic book. Turned into a magazine which was called Mad. Mad Magazine. So that's two things that this whole hysteria of uh, comic books turning kids into criminals brought up, did bring about. One, the Comics Code Authority and Mad Magazine. Although now, you know, Mad Magazine, I think, is done. I think it's defunct, I, I think. It might still be putting out a book here or a magazine every now and then, but... Uh, not like it used to. It's uh, it's run its course, but uh, it was a it was a cool run when it had it. And it was a very influential magazine. Lots of it influenced humor. It influenced it influenced filmmaking. It influenced comic book art and all kinds of stuff. It was great. But it also had uh, an effect. Uh, well, not my not Mad Magazine, but the, the 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 scrutiny of comic books had the effect of of blanding comic books. Making them less interesting um, until Stanley came along and decided that uh, if he was going to quit the business, he was going to create a superhero care group the the way he wanted to, and that brought about the Fantastic Four, and the rest is history. Okay, but I'm round this this story about DC Comics and where things went, and the and the Batman. See, you know, the Batman suffered from this. The, the the series that came out in 1966 had made, you know, had a campiness to it, and that couldn't help but uh, kind of overshadow the comic books and, and maybe have some influence on the stories. But the stories were had already had been pretty meh, you know, meh, not very interesting. But in the, in the 1970s, late 1960s into the 1970s. DC Comics their, and the creators that worked for them had decided to, to bring Batman back to those roots that uh, Bill Finger and Bob Kane came up with when they created, created the Batman character. Uh, so let's, let's go back to having him be gritty, uh, uh, gritty moody, gritty. That's why I said I, I was doing gritty and I was going to do moody, and, but I said gritty. That's it. Anyway, gritty. Moody, dark, uh, you know, very intense. Uh, this vengeful Batman. Let's let's go back to that. There were other artists or creative writers and creative writer, artists involved in the changeover to, or the the bringing back the character toward the you know, to his origins, what the kind of character that he was. And one of the duos that worked on that was a, a writer named Dennis O'Neill or Denny. O'Neill, and a comic book artist, Neil Adams. Now, it's Neil Adams I want to talk about. 
It's hard to talk about comic book art and artists and such on a podcast. This is not a visual medium, so be sure to check out my show notes. Go to dimland.com, click on the show notes option, and you'll get to it. If you're not checking out the show notes, you're only getting 63.92% of the show. If you want to get the rest of the show, you got to check out the show notes. So I will put up on the show notes page, I will put up some examples of Neil Adams' artwork. I mean, my goodness. He was, he was a major, major influence on the look of comic books. He, I mean, he, I think, I'm not, I, I hope I'm not exaggerating, but I think he comes in like second place to Jack Kirby in influence on a generation of artists. He just, he had something, he was a phenomenal illustrator. He was so good at drawing action and anatomy and just have it look realistic and, and yeah, I mean that was his it was thing. He'd be he'd draw more realistically uh, than than previous artists. Uh, and it's just some really, really good stuff. Good, good stuff that he did. I mean he was I, the influence he had, the, the stuff that he could do, it's just uh, incredible. And I'll put up some some images there. One of which I'm thinking of is a splash page. Splash page in comic books means a f the page itself is one panel of the comic book. I mean, it's the whole page is the artwork. And it's from an Avengers comic book in 94, I think it was, or 95 issue number. And it shows uh, one of the Inhumans. Now, the Inhumans were a species of humans that all had some kind of special, you know, superpower. Uh, and um, yeah, and there was there was a, a storyline in the Avengers in which some of the Inhumans uh, got involved with the Avengers, and one of them was. A, a character named Triton. He's one of those uh, uh, can breathe underwater type guys. And in this issue that Neil Adams drew, uh, it shows Triton getting up out of the water, climbing onto a pier, and grabbing a hold of one of the posts of the pier. And it's just, oh my goodness, it's so well done. When I opened that comic book, when I got it, and I got, uh, opened up, I knew Neil Adams had drawn on it, I knew he was a big deal. And I opened it up, and I saw that first full page, and I just went, ho, 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 look at this. It was stunning. It was stunning, and it was great. There are a few first pages that have had me just just, just drop my jaw, like, oh, look at that. Uh, the, another artist who did that was John Byrne, and he was somebody that came in the generation after Neil Adams had gotten into comic books. So Neil Adams had done lots of books, and uh, and he's a, just a fantastic illustrator. But don't ask him about science. See, that's a thing about Neil Adams. Neil Adams was was an absolute crank when it came to science. I'll try to find it so I can link to it in the show notes. But there's an episode of the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe that's from early in their run, and really you should be listening to that podcast. It's so good. Um, Early in their run, they had an interview with comic book artist Neil Adams uh, because they were hearing stuff about what he was saying about science and uh, the scientific discoveries and what we know about science and all that. And it was just total bullshit, what he was saying. 
just just silly, stupid stuff, crank stuff. He found some guy. There's some guy whose book he read made sense to him. So that's the guy I follow. This guy knows the science. You know, Neil Adams. In order for him, Neil Adams, to be right in what he was talking about in his science, all the other scientists in just about all the other fields of scientists of science were wrong. You know, they would have to be wrong. He just he found himself a crank that that uh, was publishing stuff or putting stuff online or whatever in magazines, and Neil Adams saw that and went, "Oh, this this guy knows where it's at," and yet. You know, it's just, it's just sad. So the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, they did interview Neil Adams, and you just listened to him, and it's, it's just, wow. Okay. You know, when I'm asked about, if I was ever to be asked about uh, what I thought of, uh, of uh, Neil Adams as a science, as a fan of science, I would say, Neil Adams was a great comic book illustrator. That would be my reply. What do you think about... Uh, about uh, hey Dr. Jim, what do you think about Neil Adams and uh, buying all this uh, alien silliness? And I'd say, well, you know, Neil Adams is a great comic book illustrator. Why do I bring up Neil Adams? Neil Adams died uh, yesterday. I saw it on Facebook all 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 day today. Well. Just scrolling through, there was all kinds of little messages about it and and all that. And so he was 80 years old. I had an opportunity a couple of years back before the pandemic. There was a Comic Con tour coming through. You know, there was a comic convention that was going to be in in Minneapolis. And and uh, Dave, my my store the store manager for Nostalgia Zone, asked me. He says, you know, um, if you want to, you can pick up like I don't know, 100 bucks just uh, to help Neil Adams at his booth at the convention. It's just, you know, helping sell merch or, you know, getting you know, autographs done or something like that. And I just went, yeah, nah. <laughs> there was something that Neil Adams did uh, uh, besides his is fantastic comic book art. I'm telling you. I mean, there are some books where they don't look so great, but there are some where it's just, wow, look at this guy's work. It's just amazing. Um, Neil Adams, one, one of the great things that he did in comic books was, just as I was talking about how Batman was created by Bill Finger with a little bit of help from Bob Kane, and eventually, over the you know, but through the years... The decades, it was always created by Bill, Bob Kane because Bob Kane knew how to work the system or something. I don't know. Knew how to get the credit where it wasn't due. But just, just, and and just how how in more recent years, the 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 uh, anything that's got Batman in it will have uh, a uh, an additional bit of information that'll say that uh, Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. They'll have both of it in it. So that's a little something. And that is similar to what Neil Adams did that just was so cool. Neil Adams took up... He was the, he was the spearhead, the figurehead... The, the, well, not figurehead. He was the, he was the guy that, got, that was the most visible uh, in the, within the industry that was pushing DC Comics to, 
to do right by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, as kids, created Superman. And they both stayed on with, with DC Comics, working as a writer, working as an artist, and for a long time. But they started to feel like you know they, we weren't getting credit for Superman, we and we weren't and they weren't really getting well compensated for a character that was that was earning the company loads of money. So the years later, when the two fellows are no longer in the industry, and and one of them was struggling to make ends meet, he was living out of his car, I think, at one point, or he just he just was having a very difficult time of it, and Neil Adams. Um, got wind of of, of the uh, how much the two two fellows uh, uh, Siegel and Schuster were being ignored by the industry, and he and he, and he and he made it one of his causes to make sure that the industry that DC Comics got gave credit to those two fellows that they created Superman. So when the Superman movie came out, the one with Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeves. Anyway, that one uh, in 1978 was it? Before that movie was released, Neil Adams, along with a lot of other comic book people, said, "This needs to change. These guys need to get credit where credits due," and that's why. And they were successful. They were successful because that's why. If you watch that original Superman movie, you'll see in there created by Jerry Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. They get the credit that they should have been getting all along. And that was pretty kudos, uh, big kudos to uh, Neil Adams, who, who's died at age 80. He was pretty messed up in his head when it came to science. He was pretty messed up, just listening to the cranks, because the cranks must be on to something. But what I'm on to is to get to my second break. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I'll return after this break. Other guys. The finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. When, oh, when will someone design an exploding head emoticon? Please, someone, anyone. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Hi, I'm Darren McKee, one of the hosts of The Reality Check. Each week, my co-host and I explore a range of controversies and curiosities using science and critical thinking. You can find us on iTunes, your favorite podcasting platform, and on Facebook by searching for The Reality Check, or by following us on Twitter at TRC underscore podcast. Until then, keep an open mind, but not so open, your brain falls out. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. 
All right, let's get back past the geek stuff, comic book stuff, and all that. Well, Neil Adams died uh, just yesterday, and it got me thinking about uh, about him, and and wanted to do a little talk and and just kind of tie that into Batman and what he did. Oh, and and uh, if I didn't mention this, part of the reason why I brought up Neil Neil Adams was because he and Denny O'Neill, who was a writer for DC Comics, along with other creators of comic books at the time, in the 1970s or so, had decided to try to bring Batman back to his roots. Oh, hi, kitty. What? What? No, no, no. Those transcendental meditation guys, those yogis or whatever, they're not levitating. Okay? They can't levitate. Right? I know you've seen pictures of them levitating, but they're not levitating. It's just a picture catching them in the middle of a hop. You see, they put their legs in that that folded up lotus position that they sit in, and they and they they they, they spring themselves up from the upper parts of their legs. They they hop, and that's what they're doing. Okay, so they're not actually levitating. So stop thinking. Don't fall for it. They can't levitate. You know what James Randi said? Do you remember James Randi, Kitty? Do you? Do you remember James Randi at all? Well, anyway, he said that, uh, hey, if you claim to be able to levitate, come on over to our offices and just step outside the fifth floor window. If you don't fall, we'll give you the million-dollar check. You know, for the million-dollar challenge, you remember that? All right. That damn cat thinks that uh, levitation's possible. It's not possible. So, anyway, um, I wanted to mention, uh, and I wanted to mention this a while back, uh, since I'm catching up on some of the things I didn't get to talk about because of uh, taking off a couple weeks. You know, I had the COVID, and I was so busy with this other stuff. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention about the Oscars. Yeah, I know. It happened, what, was it two months ago now? <laughs> anyway, uh, I thought one of the best moments of that, and it was completely overshadowed by the slap, which, which preceded it, but when they came to um, bestowing the award... Uh, at the end of the night for the best picture, the last award of the night, the Oscar uh, producers, whatever, they, they decided to have Lady Gaga come out with Liza Minnelli. Now, Liza Minnelli is a, is a legend in, in, in film and entertainment. Uh, she's, uh, she's, you know, she was a very... Uh, she, had a, she would play quirky characters and she was, could sing and dance and act and do all this stuff. She was really good. And now she's, you know, she's in her late 70s, I think, and she's not, at least when the Oscars were going, she wasn't in the best of, best health. She looked okay, but she, you could tell she was old and, and, and frail. And it's kind of, you know, she's so, she was quite the vivacious and, and vibrant character uh, in her younger days. And to see her older, elderly, in, in, in a wheelchair, and just, you know, a bit, a bit lost, just a little bit, in what was going on. But the thing is, what made it such a great moment was Lady Gaga. And she was terrific. She came out there. She she dressed in um, uh, her costume, <laughs> if it were her her her, her the, what she wore to, for this presentation was meant to be an homage to the film Cabaret. They did talk about how Cabaret had come out like 50 years prior. And uh, and she was Lady Gaga was dressed as the uh, Joel Grey character, uh, the MC, the Master of Ceremonies, uh, uh, in the movie um, uh, Cabaret, which is kind of a fun movie. Even and it's a musical, but it makes sense as a musical because all the music, all the singing and dancing, and all that happen on stage, where it makes sense. 
See, that's the thing about musicals and me. It doesn't make sense that everybody starts singing the same song and dancing, walking through the streets. You know, some guy starts walking through the street and he's dancing everywhere he goes and he's singing a song and then pretty soon everybody in the town is dancing with him and singing along with him. And I thought, how did how did how do they know the words? I know it's a fantasy. I know. So anyway, she was not you know, Liza was having you know, she had these cards with her that would help her you know if the tele she couldn't read the teleprompter it would help her with that but but Lady Gaga was just making sure that hey you're good you're good she said to I got you you know she was there for her and she made sure that the audience showed their appreciation to Liza and that Liza felt the appreciation all that I thought it was wonderful I thought it was just such a touching moment and I think Lady Gaga is pretty awesome uh, there uh, I you know I'm not going to go out and buy all of her albums. Or put everything on Spotify, but she she impressed the hell out of me there. Now there's somebody that's a friend of uh, Liza Minnelli who I guess uh, after the Oscars had taken place and, and everybody was finally looking at that moment with uh, Lady Gaga and Liza and, and looking away from the slap and talking about how great it was uh, and what a what a touching moment it was and how nice it was for Lady for both Lady Gaga and for Liza Minnelli that that it went well. And, and and all that. Uh, Michael, Fe is his name Feinstein? Is that his name? He's a singer, whatever. He's a friend of Liza's. He talked about how the Oscars tried to sabotage Liza Minnelli's appearance by putting her in that wheelchair. Liza had asked for a director's chair to sit in, but the Oscars put her in a wheelchair, and that's you know trying to sabotage her appearance. And I thought, I don't think that would be in the Oscars' best interest. To sabotage a Hollywood legends, you know, appearance on their on their podcast. I mean, why? <laughs> why would they want to do that? Why would they want to take her down a peg? I mean, she hasn't made movies in a while. She hasn't been in anything in a while. I think the last thing she was in was Arrested Development, and that was how long ago? Maybe there was something else, but you know, I just not. I I, I don't. I don't know. I, I I'm. It's possible. That they didn't want her in that director's chair because they wanted her in a wheelchair for you know liability insurance purposes. <laughs> she could fall. The wheelchair would be a little safer. They may have thought so. Anyway, it was a great moment. It was touching. It was it was it was a great moment. And uh, Lady Gaga is kind of awesome. I have a cool thing for you. Uh, this cool thing is something that. Uh, um, Happen. It's a it's a it's a local thing, local news. Uh, although it's a national uh, personality involved. Uh, local news station WCCO, TV station. They also have a radio station. They're a CBS affiliate. Uh, it, you may not be aware of this, but uh, there was a teachers' strike in Minneapolis. There was there was almost one in St. Paul, but the St. Paul Teachers Union had managed to come to an agreement with the city um, and, and avoided a strike. But the Minneapolis Teachers Union did not uh, was not able to come to an agreement, so there was a, stri a strike for a while. I think it's been settled since, and the teachers are back teaching. But uh, there was a there was a strike, and apparently back in 1970, that same Minneapolis district had been on went on strike before. Uh, at least in 1970, they had gone on strike, and so uh, they they sent their 
film archivist people, you know, the people that find the stock footage to put into their stories or find old reports they've done to put into their current reports. They went searching for information about, you know, what was the news coverage in 1970 of that teacher strike in Minneapolis. And 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 they were, and they found this footage and one of the one of the WCCO uh, editors or camera people or tech people whatever he is he's looking through the footage and he says you know I, I'm a kid from Minneapolis and it was really cool at first you know to be able to look and see all the the old Minneapolis the 1970s Minneapolis stuff and seeing what I recognized and, and bringing back memories from my childhood and all that and he uh, he stumbled upon something else. In the film footage was a reporter asking some questions of some school kids, Minneapolis school students. And the reporter talks to this one kid who's 11 years old, asks him what he thinks about the strike. Do you think it's a good thing? And the kid gave an answer that an 11-year-old would give. That kid, turns out, was Prince. That was Prince. 1970s, 11 years old. He's going to grade school. He's being he's being talked to by a news reporter. And yeah, and and it's Prince. The there was a thumbnail shot of the video that was part of the the the, uh, the thing that showed up on Facebook when I saw it a while back. That the little thumbnail shows a piece of that film where where Prince as an 11 year old is looking off to the side he's casting his glass gaze to the side he's got a, a little bit of a smile on his face uh, a little bit of a smirk and you look at that and you go that's prince that's prince that sideways look that he would do that's prince <laughs> you know just wow so the story so they, they they find this and they think wait a minute we, we've got we got prince here is this prince so they started to try to to confirm it because he doesn't say in the interview his name doesn't give his name as being prince nelson doesn't say that so um they they, they need to try to find somebody there's a there's a, another student that's talked to and he gives his full name so they think well let's see if we can track this guy down well the story that i'll link to on the show notes go to dimland.com Click on the show notes, the blog op, the show notes blog option, and you'll get to it. I'll link to it uh, to this story because there's a there's a person who has a, a, who uh, I, I don't know if she lives in Minnesota. I think she probably does, but she's a she's what you know a, a Prince historian. She's written a book about him where she gathered all kinds of information from newspapers and all that and gathers it all together, and so she's kind of an expert on the guy. And. Uh, she saw the footage. She says, "Boy, oh boy, that sure does seem like it's Prince. That really, I mean, that gesture, the 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 look on it, it's just that really seems like it's Prince. And if it is, this is amazing. It's an amazing little bit of uh, of uh, footage to to stumble over. And uh, she was able to put the CCO reporter in in touch with a, a fellow that was childhood friends with prince and had been in one of prince's first bands and um so they they get that they the reporter finds that fellow and 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 his uh his uh wife i guess or girlfriend or something <laughs> i'm not sure what the status is right now uh but the, these he finds these two two people and he starts showing them this footage and they went wow that's him and and the guy says that's skipper that's skipper 
Skipper was Prince's nickname when he was 11 years old. His friends all called him Skipper. I never knew that. And the guy was said, yeah, that's him. And when he hears his voice, he said, oh, God, that's him. That's him. He says, goosebumps. You know, he was just like, this is, it's, this is incredible. And it's a neat little, little find in that, in that film archive that they went to look for in order to have something about uh, a teacher's strike that they could relate to the current strike or the one that just ended. It's really cool. When you see it, I'm telling you, you're going to think, yeah, that's Prince. <laughs> because it, man, it sure does look like him. Good night, Frau Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher. Okay, well, that's the end of this week's show. I gotta confess to you guys, I wasn't sure I'd have enough material for it, but it looks like it, uh, I didn't get to some of the stuff I was gonna get to. Well, I'll just have to get to it next time. Uh, wear masks and do your stuff and be skeptical and all that kind of stuff. This is uh, Jim, Dr. Dim, Fitzsimmons, your host of Dimland Radio here in the Z-Talk Radio Network, and I'm reminding you all to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to dr dim at dimland.com that's d-r-d-i-m at dimland.com and the opening theme song ram is by the Yolius and is used with permission Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for, for tuning us in. in. My life, you're clever, Dim. You'd certainly taken me in. What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow. Wow. Well, well I'm going, going to hell. hell.